This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with three people. It's so exciting. There's Mike Hogan, Vanity Fair's digital director. Hey, everybody. Richard Lawson, Vanity Fair's film critic. Hello. And here in New York is Joanna Robinson, Vanity Fair's senior writer. Well, hello. This yeah. is a really monumental occasion. We are all in the same room together. We can make eye contact. It's thrilling. Not only that, noted podcaster Joanna Robinson said she's never been in a room with other people podcasting before. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So what are your weird podcast habits that you now can't do in front of us? Like <laughs> petting your kitten is one of them. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it's the whole icon. I feel like I, I feel very, you know, so- socially anxious right now. Not I usually don't, but I'm like, oh, there's eye contact to make while I'm yeah. talking. Don't worry. We don't make eye contact. Okay, we're going <laughs> to stare at the table. <laughs> we're going to learn a lot about each other. Well, it's a big week. There's a lot going on awards buzz wise that we wanted to catch up on. So it's kind of a nice time to all be in one room. So we're going to talk about the New York and Los Angeles Film Critic Association Awards. We're going to talk about Richard's top 10 list and also Golden Globe predictions since those come out next Monday between this and the next episode. But we have to start with kind of a down note, but something that really needs to get addressed. I think a listener on Twitter was asking us if we were going to talk about the allegations against Casey Affleck, who is the star of Manchester by the Sea. We've talked about his odds of winning Best Actor several times, but he does have a sexual assault allegation in his past, which is unfortunately becoming common for people in the public eye. And Mike, you've kind of done the most research, I think, on what exactly he's been accused of. Can you kind of run down what Casey Affleck has been accused of and then maybe why we're not talking about it enough? Sure. I mean, I don't want to go too deep into it. There's a pretty good Daily Beast article that's comprehensive, but it's two women who worked on I'm Still Here, the Joaquin Phoenix mockumentary where he sort of pretended, sort of did give up acting to become a rapper which was problematic in itself. This may go down as one of the more problematic. I was going to say most problematic, but we've got Last Tango in Paris and a lot of <laughs> oh, other God. contenders. Yeah, yeah, what a week. One of the rather problematic productions of all time. But apparently the behavior on the set was completely bananas. And Casey was doing all kinds of things from physically pushing himself onto these women to sending them really nasty text messages to encouraging a male cast member to show his private parts to them. And basically just acting like a huge jerk and maybe worse, according to these allegations. So the ways that KCF like responded to this were when they first complained, he kind of started attacking them. Then later after they sued him, he vehemently denied everything. Then he went into arbitration and settled everything. And I think everything was sealed. Yeah, we have lawsuits you can see, but no one's talked about we it. We haven't since. heard from the woman who accused him since any of this happened. And then he did the sort of classic thing when somebody brought it up more recently in an email to just say, well, you know, it's just sad when you're famous, people can say anything about you. And I wish they wouldn't do that because we are human beings with families. So, you know, 
it's hard to imagine two non-famous people working in a business as relationship-driven as Hollywood making crazy accusations against their much more powerful and famous director just for the sake of it, for fun or whatever that would be, for money. But you never know. Why are we not talking about it? One, I don't think people were super aware of it. It was kind of one of these things where I had this notion in the back of my mind, like, oh, right, KCF like, did some shady thing that I yeah. can't quite exactly remember. But boy, am I in love with this movie. <laughs> you know, and you do kind of push it out of your head. Secondly, he plays a completely screwed up monster in the movie. And so, I don't know. There's part of me that's kind of like, well, maybe he's just a screwed up monster, but still a really good performance. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there is probably uh, structural racism coming into play versus the way that the Birth of a Nation thing has been dealt with. I would like to point out that I said at the time that people should see Birth of a Nation, even though I felt that, you know, whatever you think about Nate Parker. So, you know, I think you should still see Manchester by the Sea. I still think it's a great performance. And, you know, he's an actor. He's not the director. This isn't his entire passion project. He's not the sole responsible person for this thing. And it's not claiming to sort of make a huge stand against important issues of our time. Still, there's something about handing a guy a golden statuette and everybody cheering and saying how great they are and them being enshrined in the Pantheon where there is a kind of, you know, Richard and I were talking about this yesterday, like, you don't want to morally audit every single, uh, to use your great phrase, every single person who's up for any yeah. award. But on the other hand, do you really want to reward? It's it's tricky. It it's is tricky. tricky. And I think that some of the frustration comes from a kind of deeper level. It's a frustration with the industry where it's not how dare an audience member like Casey Affleck in this movie. It goes further back. It's like, why would he be hired? in the first place and then kind of put him in a position to be giving a good performance that people like and that people give awards to or even if he's hired are we really going to celebrate him as the pinnacle of right. achievement in right. this field without really resolving what the hell happened and at least nate parker came out and spoke at least semi forthrightly about this yeah. whole thing and apologized casey is basically thus far been like these crazy people attack me for no reason which yeah. again it's possible it's true it seems to me rather unlikely it seems at least that casey affleck needs to reckon with this in some way that forwards the conversation i think that's an unintentional positive that came out of the nate parker thing is that it really forwarded the conversation but it seems unlikely if in that email that you mentioned mike if that was recent then it seems like anything that he might say on the subject now that might be more meditative or you know allowing for mistakes made would seem like it was done just as part of the award season game just to win an sense? oscar yeah. he actually acknowledges the right. reality of sexual assault yeah. Yeah. well and then tactically the fact that nate parker did try to be forthright and got completely annihilated and well, erased from the entire conversation like he did all these apology right. tours but kept not really apologizing he yeah. didn't thread the needle which is a really hard needle to thread but it is a hard needle to thread and, and and you'd have to be semi-hubristic to think you could thread it yeah you know, because it's just you don't know where the landmines are, frankly. Well, Richard, you were voting with the New York Film Critics Circle last week, and we were going to talk about this later. But Casey Affleck won the Best Actor Award. Did it any did. of this come up in that conversation in the room? I'm not really supposed to talk about what happened behind the scenes, as it were, during the voting. But I can say from my perspective, you know, as much as I like Manchester by the Sea and much as I think that Casey Affleck is great in it, I wasn't thrilled to have him win. I think I because put, of this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not because he's not great in the movie. It's just I think that. 
right now, given the political tenor of this country, I just think that like any sort of tacit endorsements that we are giving in whatever kind of silly context, like, you know, critics awards to this kind of behavior, to this kind of, frankly, white male entitlement, I'm just not thrilled to be doing that, you know, and I think on a purely artistic level, if we are ever able to assess something like this in a vacuum, he's great in it. And so I think that that's sort of how the group I voted with went because he is really good in it. But personally, I'm unable to shut out the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean, I think the question of whether or not you can separate the art from the artist is like it comes up over and over again. It's come up with Roman Polanski and Woody Allen for decades. And it it just seems like it's a really personal thing. Like you kind of have the choice of whether or not to do it. But then it comes down to the personal choices of 5000 Academy members and whether or not they're going to do that. And there just doesn't seem to be any evidence based on what we've seen so far that they're going to consider any of this and Casey Affleck will kind of cruise through because he's already famous. Oh, I don't know about that. You don't. You think it's going to come up? <laughs> no, I think I mean, the fact that we're this is bubbling up hopefully now and sorry to say but if you're in one of the rival camps you're going to be saying from now till yeah. January 30th or whatever the deadline is like sure he's great in it but did you read that Daily Beast article? Have you yeah. heard whatever else is going to come out about it? I mean people negatively campaign. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, yeah. and as it bubbles in like podcasts and that sort of stuff, it's going to work its way to the point where if you're a journalist and you have a sit down with Casey Affleck and you don't ask him about this, right. it seems out of line. And there's no way that Casey Affleck can zoom through the rest of award season and not give lengthy interviews. I don't really understand how it hasn't come up because that Daily Beast article was published. There's been an interesting strategy with Affleck in that in a lot of interviews he's been with his brother or with Matt Damon and it kind of, mm. innoc- I mean, it protects him and I think it creates a kind of collegial environment during these interviews. Mm-hmm. And well, so you like Matt Damon. You don't, kinda, make, yeah. you don't want to make Matt Damon uncomfortable. And it's a bit like showing up to you know your dinner in little italy with like a couple guys on your side you know like like it's protection you know and i think that that's not an accident at all i would say one more thing that's interesting about this and the last tango in paris controversy where bernardo bertolucci said something along the lines of he and brando surprised maria schneider with some aspect of that infamous rape scene whether it was full on, she didn't know any of it was going to happen or the whole butter thing. I hate myself for even talking about this. <laughs> but in that case, and in I'm still here, it seems to me that there's an old fashioned macho pushing the limits of art. You know, it reminds me also of that story we did about Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. Where Dustin, on Kramer versus Kramer. In, on Kramer versus Kramer, where Dustin Hoffman was probably acting like a huge asshole for the role, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a methody thing. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting moment as we all sort of get woke and as people's voices start to get louder and they say like, you know, just because you think you're doing method and that is going to help the film, don't sexually harass me. Don't sexually assault me. Yeah. That isn't an excuse for everything. I think that's a change to the Hollywood value system. Yeah. You know, I think that these guys have felt entitled to do whatever it, it took for the art. And I think it's an important moment for people to be like, that's not part of the deal here. Like, yeah, that's think, not what we come here for. I think there's a line between that, that I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn a line between, you know, Tom Hardy being a jerk to Leonardo DiCaprio on the set of The Revenant because they're in character as adversaries and sexually harassing a woman. Like, that is a huge yeah. difference. And I think for a long time, Hollywood has operated as if they're not that different because they're all in the service of the art. 
quote and and why are you sexually harassing the director of photography? But yeah, yeah that's not part but of your performance. if the entire experiment was let's make a crazy film where reality isn't reality and everything we do is sort of in character yeah. and we'll see what comes yeah. of it. Like I suspect that's possible that that's part of what happened here. I have no idea, and I don't yeah. want to make excuses for anybody either. But yeah. I wonder if that's part. You of can it. kind of do that and cross all your boundaries, but there are still people working there who want to feel safe. Well, there never job. seems yeah. to be that much consideration for the actress's art. You know, no. it's like, oh, oh right. just get out of the way of my fucking thing. And, yeah. and I don't know, you can figure it out, you know, on your own. It's like this is a collaboration. And to alienate somebody in whatever way you're doing it, whether they're a performer or a crew member or whatever, you're impeding the project because you're making it worse. Well, for, you know, I, I would say in fairness to a deeply problematic and I think outdated point of view. It's about antagonizing somebody else to see what they come out with. Right. And, and it's yeah. supposed to be a two-way street. I think yeah. the issue is that it doesn't adequately take into account that it doesn't feel like well, they're power And, they're, you know, power the dynamics, dynamics if it's a yeah. male yeah. director and a male star, you know. But anyway, I think that some conflict and some struggle in art is valuable and worth it and creates really good things. But certainly, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And, like, it's just a movie. Like, maybe let's yeah. try to make everyone have a decent experience, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting that you talk about the larger concept of entitlement because, you know, Katie brings up Matt Damon as a likable shield for Casey Affleck. But even Matt Damon, right, is bumping up against his new role in The Great Wall. There was controversy around whitewashing the Great Wall, and it's fine if that controversy was overblown, but for Matt Damon to brush it off without acknowledging the larger anxiety around it. Especially in light of the Project, Project Greenlight. Greenlight. Yeah. yeah, right off the Project Greenlight. It just seems like Matt Damon, who we do like, who is so likable, who isn't like a sort of nasty kind of entitlement, but just sort of this attitude of like, I don't understand your concern. Mm-hmm. I'm a nice guy and I care about diversity, which I think he does. But it, there's just like a larger yeah, way in which, as Mike says, the wokeness of of the rest of us is trickling down to this industry. Yeah. So, Mike, you, I feel like you hear from a lot of uh, publicists and people who are kind of planting ideas. Like, if you are, if you're working at Paramount and you're promoting Denzel Washington Fences, for example, as a best actor contender, what do you do to kind of keep this going in the conversation? What do you think they're planning at Paramount right now? You know, backing Tom Hanks and Sully or any other, you know, fellow best actor contender? I don't think the studios do much coordinated, planned negative campaign. Unless you're Harvey Weinstein. I think it's possible that some of the independent um, <laughs> producers are more willing to go there. Yeah. I think that the awards consultants have ways of doing it that's just a conversation. They're not going to like plant. I mean, they might. <laughs> <laughs> they're talking to journalists a lot mm-hmm. and they're going, I know it's a great performance, but like, I'm going to have to read that thing. Like, yeah. what do you think? You know, do you think that that's okay? It's just planting the seat. And by the way, since they're journalists, they're going to be like, well, let me go look into this. By the way, that didn't happen here. What happened here was a person on Twitter who I don't know what their motivation was, but presumably just were bothered by this story saying to us, like, you guys are talking about Casey Affleck, like he's the second coming. Right. Yeah. And I think that was a good point. But, yeah. but you know, whatever the context is, that's going to keep happening and people are going to keep examining their conscience. Yeah. You know? And I would, I would encourage other listeners if these kind of things come up tweet at us let us know yeah. you know it's it's yeah i'm glad that that yeah. this came up so richard as we mentioned before you voted with the new york film critic circle uh yep. last week you can't yep. talk about what went down I in can't. the room where it happens because uh you know secret ballots and all it is secret and you know i should clarify with the casey affleck thing it was a thrill to do this and i am happy with pretty much all the winners and i think you know again in that vacuum casey affleck is great so i'm, I'm not trying to come down on my fellow critic circle well, members th- but, vote but i know? think there's something with being part of any group that votes on awards not every one of your favorite 
Roberts is going to win every award. No, yeah. Well, and I'll tell you this. No one I voted for first won anything. <laughs> so I was, I was clearly not in step with... Well, we uh, have seen your top 10 movies of the year. <laughs> yeah, the Mendler just surprising. didn't take off in the room. Oh, yeah, I, I, man, I really, I really stump for that thing. <laughs> as much as you can stump when you're just writing things down on a little piece of paper. And, um, but no, it was really exciting. And I think um, one of the the most intriguing things about the whole process was, you know, if you were to publish a list of every film that got one vote, you know, at least one vote during the whole four hour thing, it's an incredible list. Yeah. I mean, just a breadth of, and you know, I was sitting next to Amy Taubin, this great kind of lion of film criticism who, you know, at almost 80 years old still traverses the ice and snow at Sundance every year. And she's just a real, a real treat to, to get to know. And she was throwing out these really fascinating choices and so many, uh, I mean, you know, as much as I knew who anyone was voting for, because it was again, actually, kept pretty well secret it was exciting to kind of in my head build up a mental list of movies i hadn't seen this year Um, sunset song or sandstorm or lots of kind of smaller titles that someone in the room at least one person liked well i'm I'm glad you didn't walk in there with like the standard issue oscar picks you know yeah i mean that would be pretty boring and no it didn't it didn't feel i mean i think that the way the awards ended up panning out with who won it was a little bit more um kind of centrist maybe let's sure. say that than i was expecting but um yeah. but you know these are the new york film critic circle sort of oscillates back and forth some years are really out there Kristen stewart winning or whatever and some years are more in line with how the we think the academy awards are going to shake out so yeah i didn't get any sense during the process that all of this was sort of preordained so can you run down just real quick the big winners oh yeah so casey affleck won best actor best actress went unsurprisingly to isabel Huppert for both l and things to come now you say unsurprisingly but you know when we talk about who's in like the thick of the best actors race week we keep talking about emma stone natalie portman and maybe annette benning isabel Huppert is really emerging as the critics favorite in this last week i think well i mean you've met New York film critics. Uh, <laughs> I just think Isabel Huppert was clearly, you know, I think people were so enamored of both of her movies this year yeah. and of her. And, you know, I think that, you know, because she's never won an Oscar, never been nominated for an Oscar, it's a kind of honor in a way to be a smaller critics group that says, oh, no, no, no. Miss O'Pair, like here, like <laughs> you are, you are loved, <laughs> and you know she's going to come to our awards dinner, you know, oh. in January. So, and you have the ability to award someone for multiple films, which is not something yeah, that yeah, and so. and you know, I think that after the winners were announced, oh, because Michelle Williams won Best Supporting Actress for Manchester by the Sea and Certain Women, and so there were some people on Twitter saying, well, look, the two actresses who won one for two films where the men won for one. So it's just proof that women have to do twice as much work. And I, <laughs> and I, I see that point and I take that point, but I also say, well, it also just means Michelle Williams and Isabel Hopper had great years. You yeah. know, they did really, yeah, get, you know, they got twice as much work. Right. So know, I, I, I think you can, I think it's kind of a glass half full, half empty kind of thing. But yeah, we were able to do that. And I think that both of those actresses just, I mean, they're great this year. So mm-hmm. it was, it's exciting. I mean, what's interesting looking at the awards, you know, not having been in the room is you see a lot of attention going to Moonlight and then yeah. to, um, Manchester by the Sea with Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams winning and then La La Land won Best Picture, yeah. which is yeah. really fascinating to see. Yeah. I and mean, we were recording last week while you were in this deliberation and talking about La La Land as kind of a, uh, populist pick compared to Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea. But if it's a critics pick too, like, I mean, it's kind of feels unstoppable now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, no matter how you look at it, it's a boon for that movie and its campaign and you know i think that it was a surprise i mean certainly judging by twitter's reaction because you know the awards were announced on twitter on this one publicist twitter account 
very slowly over the course of four hours and then you know <laughs> moonlight won yeah. for uh director and cinematography and supporting actor and manchester won awards for its acting you know and it was just seemed kind of like well it's going to be moonlight or it's going to be manchester and then out of nowhere la la land so yeah i think it's fun to have a surprise there you know at the end and i think that's exactly what we talked about last week is that manchester and moonlight the way we saw the race last week was that they were likely to pick up the acting awards and other awards and that la la land would take the big prize yeah as like the academy would be like oh well we gave him these things so we'll give it best picture right and then the, the new york critics were doing that, that as yeah. we were speaking <laughs> yeah, yeah. well then the los angeles critics voted on sunday and yeah. they had moonlight as their top pick but with yeah. the runner-up la la land they uh, they didn't go for the hometown favorite in that case uh, yeah not to like start any sort of you know east coast west coast <laughs> battle but you know the, the la film critics association does have the benefit of going after new york so mm-hmm. they can kind of see what new york goes oh. with and then maybe i don't know maybe that affects maybe it doesn't i mean i know and like many many people in that group so i don't want to question their motives well but, they yeah. also managed to make out of the box choices every year and uh, having yeah. been Which in I the think room is great. with critics groups voting i don't totally understand how they do it they must have a period of like stumping for something because you get something like uh, Lily Gladstone of Certain mm-hmm. Women winning Best Supporting mm-hmm. Actress which is a great choice she's great in that movie but if you have just the sheer process of everyone going around putting their picks she's not how the heck does that happen yeah, yeah I don't yeah, even yeah. totally understand I mean it's great that they get to highlight things you know The Handmaiden won Best Production Design mm-hmm. and Rebecca Hall and Christine was the runner up for Best Actress like they're highlighting fantastic performances uh, but it's just I, I truly don't understand how it happens if you're a LAFCA member listening please call us yeah, if you're allowed to talk about your process, because <laughs> having now been through the New York critics process um, that, again, I'm not speaking of, um, I'm very <laughs> curious exactly like, like you said, Katie, like how I mean, I'm so glad that Lily Gladstone and whoever else got in there. But like, how did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah Adam really Driver and Patterson won Best Actor. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, you it's know, really cool. I yeah. Think, I'm know. really I think that's what critics groups really should do is really highlighting stuff like that, like not mm-hmm. just checking off the boxes of what you think is going to win. Oscars. Yeah. Well, the last thing you want is for everyone to be competing to predict the Oscars. Yes. You know, yeah, exactly. that's right. no fun. Yeah. 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 And it shouldn't ever. I mean, I think we do kind of judge on that basis and we shouldn't. Yeah. Well, and I'm a member of the group that votes on the Critics' Choice Awards, which every year feels like it does that exact same thing. And the nominees, there's some really great nominees in that group that we were talking about last week. But most years it winds up being like, oh, well, who's going to win Best Actress? I'm going to that. That this seems what people do, yeah. no matter how. Right. Because they don't want to be wrong. Well, it's such a large group that, you know, if the everything kind of merges toward the most mainstream thing, like you're probably going to wind up being close to what everyone's talking about. Yeah. I guess it's just so funny. Last year. Well, I, pre- previous years, I just remember narratives building up around Patricia Arquette or J.K. Simmons because of the critics. Like, I always feel like the critics are anticipating or creating the the momentum mm-hmm. that we see. But maybe they're reacting to momentum that they hear that you like being part of this podcast is interesting to me to hear how much you guys know before the rest of us know, <laughs> having talked to people who are in the academy, you know, and publicists. So you already know the narrative and then the narrative can be expressed through Critics' Choice, and then the rest of us hear that narrative, and then it gets reflected back again in the nomination. I think the critics get to solidify a narrative. Like, if right. somehow the critics had seen Moonlight and been like, ah, you know what, we like whatever better. Like, right. Moonlight would be dead. Like, that would be it for it in Oscars. Because it's getting the critical support continued, I think it gets to continue to be part of the conversation. Yeah. So there's definitely, there's a role that critics play in this that's really massive. Well, remember but- early on, when we all first saw Moonlight, I guess in Toronto or right after Toronto, right? Telluride. Oh, Telluride. Okay. Yeah. Excuse, Excuse me. me. Richard saw it in Telluride yeah, yeah, and the rest of the world of saw it up in the air. Oh, in this, Toronto. Is, this is in-person, like, Richard face that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So good. Uh, but remember, I remember saying I could really see it being a number nine Best Picture sure. nominee. Uh-huh. You know, so then you start to see these critic awards start to say like, oh, no, it's a number 
two or three mm-hmm. or could be even be one, you yeah. know, like mm-hmm. there's a chance. And we can start to see this narrative of like, oh, the two tearjerkers split between Moonlight and Manchester mm-hmm. and La La Land sails through on the strength of being like relatively sunny. Yeah. Um, well, and last but year. We don't know. We still, still more time. Last year I made a bet that Spotlight couldn't win Best Picture because it was a critical favorite and then like it just didn't seem like it could make it through. But then the more that critical drumbeat goes, the more it just, yeah. you know, has the power to win. I was speaking with a, a new friend who is a member of the Academy. Uh, I won't say her name, but. Um, Isabelle Huppert. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning my French. Uh, <laughs> I was in Paris this week. And, uh, la la la. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, but she's kind of convinced that Manchester's going to pull a spotlight and win. Oh. This is Susan Sarandon, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was <laughs> me, Jill Stein, and Susan were at dinner. Bernie's like, I liked Manchester. Yeah. Yeah. We were in a little restaurant in Harrisburg after she filed the uh, Pennsylvania recount thing. <laughs> Jill Stein has great Oscar yeah. opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I take an opening here just to talk about Manchester for one second? <laughs> because there was a little bit of a hot take about how you shouldn't watch it. And I really passionately believe that that is an erroneous You shouldn't view. watch it because of Casey Affleck? Because of Casey Affleck, because it's just some annoying white straight guy and his miserable problems. Oh. It's like, come on, you know, like watch this movie. White it's so well assembled. It's so well written. It it really needs to win best screenplay. You know, Kenny Lonergan is such an accomplished guy. I watched Moonlight and Manchester back to back, unfortunately, for the second time on Sunday. But Manchester just holds up unbelievably well on the mm. second. But that's year. what I'm saying. See Moonlight and Manchester. I mean, I know not everyone has time to see all the movies, but like see Manchester, but definitely see Moonlight and definitely see Fences. Like, no, don't see Moonlight, actually. No, I'm kidding. Yes, of course. <laughs> you know, but like, that's the thing is like, that I never think is the answer. Like, oh, don't go see this movie because it's about a straight white guy's angst. It's like, yes, I want more diverse stories out there, but there are some great options in this award season. And I don't think you should ignore a story just because it, yeah, because it is a straight white guy. I mean, well, it's, if it's, it's a good so, it's movie so good. about straight white guy angst, then, you know. The, the well, push yeah. for diversity is not get rid of all straight white guy stories. <laughs> it's like have stories about everyone. As much well, as and, uh, and, Breitbart might try to convince us that's true. And not to harp on all this, but maybe even just to clarify a little bit more about, I think, the birth of a nation, what happened there. Because it's it's weird when you're doing predictions. And I have my predictions up on Gold Derby, which are all going to be totally wrong. But it's a mix of like advocating and just trying to read the tea leaves, you know, with Birth of a Nation, which I thought was flawed, but pretty good movie and very powerful movie. It's absent from almost everybody's predictions, not necessarily because they think that it should be punished for whatever Nate Parker has done, but because between all the shitty press and the bad box office and the fact that no one can figure out how to defend it at Fox Searchlight, it's dead in the water. You know, whereas right. I think Manchester, even if it ends up that Casey Affleck gets a nomination, but Denzel wins or something because people just don't feel comfortable pulling that lever. This movie has momentum and yeah. is a real going concern now. And whether there's racism playing into that, I don't know. But I mean, it's Kenny Lonergan's movie. Yeah. You know, whereas Nate Parker is so bound up with Birth of a Nation and his writing partner, you mm-hmm. know, I think it hurt them that way. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. 
But we're talking about cementing momentum and the Golden Globes nominations are next week. Yeah, on Monday. Are there possibilities that would kill momentum? Like, imagine if La La Land didn't get nominated for Best Comedy oh Musical. <laughs> but of course it will. <laughs> There's like, that would be like the, exists for La La Land. <laughs> that would be the Trump winning of... Uh, oh my God. You know, the Golden Globes are so unpredictable and we always have to note that the membership of the Golden Globes is not the membership of the Academy at all. So kind of treating them as Oscar predictors is foolish. It's a few but dozen also, foreign journalists yeah, alleged. Yeah, we'll, we'll have our Golden Globes rants, I'm sure, plenty yeah. of times throughout the season. But there, it, there is a momentum factor because it's this huge television by ceremony that gives you a chance to see how cute Emma Stone is accepting an award, etc. I mean, I think looking at what we think are the possibilities, like if you see Hell or High Water showing up among the drama nominees, like that could be a really mm-hmm. interesting momentum builder. You know, Jackie is an interesting thing because it uh, didn't do as well at the Critics' Choice nominations as I thought it would. I think Natalie Portman is definitely a lock, but the movie itself seems to be kind of on the bubble for being arty or, you know, not great, as some people might argue camp, that it is not. I believe is the word that was used. <laughs> uh, hey, Richard used camp in his uh, assessment of it, uh, making naming it the seventh best oh, movie. Oh yeah, of Richard, year. we cruised right past your top ten list, but uh, oh yeah, just I, it, I just looked, it just went up, and I already got one kudos for naming the Meddler the number one best film of 2016, which, <laughs> which uh, from think, Susan Sarandon, which should be <laughs> dear dear friend. <laughs> in a, yeah, in a yeah. perfect world, that should be a comedy musical contender for the Golden Globes for sure. Sure, it's such yeah. a great comedy. I would, I would love that as well. Yeah. I think that that is, field is so it's weird. It's just not what the Golden Globes are for. For the like Florence Foster Jenkins, yeah, and the like, you know to get the comedies there. yeah well I mean you know looking at the comedy I'm trying to kind of predict what's going to be on there we're going to have a Gold Globes prediction post on the yeah. site uh, but you know you've got Florence Foster Jenkins 20th Century Women I think and La La Land and then The Lobster Sing Street that hilarious Deadpool. Yeah, that laugh Ripley. riot yeah 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 Deadpool yeah. that would be shocking I mean uh, but not well, but would like, it the, but, yeah. yeah a I lot mean, of people are predicting rules don't apply which rules don't apply which, oh, which would, that funny but it had one of the worst box office openings ever and yet I guess Right, but it's Warren. Yeah, I mean, and you look in the like lead actor in a comedy field, which is truly bizarre. Like you know, <laughs> Ryan Gosling in La La Land, and then Hugh Grant, Ryan Reynolds. It's really right. uh, a mystery. The, the other prong of the Golden Globes, which we always have to talk about, right, is in addition to the weird and comedy inclusions that we get there, we get those weird film star courting. Things. Yeah, and yeah, that, the, the what, tourist problem. Right. Is what we exactly, call this. Yeah. and that's what why Warren Beatty seems like. Yeah. He'd be in. And well, that's, that's already going to be there for 20th Century Women, so like you right. don't have to nominate Warren to get him there. So I don't know. It'd be polite. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Golden Globes also famously love Emily Blunt, so uh, you know she could get nominated for a Girl on the Train. <laughs> like there, weird things happen, guys. Wow. I just want to encourage you to predict this. Do you think there's any chance I could get a nomination? You know, if you go, when you, if you hosted a dinner for the Hollywood Foreign <laughs> okay. Press, like maybe. All right. Well, you should figure that <laughs> this next podcast. year we're going to start a thing and like get Richard a Golden Globe nomination for anything. <laughs> for we'll just figure out how just to do video just record the podcast and give it a little qualifying <laughs> yeah, round. Yeah, yeah, there you go. best comedy musical there you go but this yeah. year you can go with definitely Susan Sarandon's plus one or Isabella well, Bear. Yeah. Yeah. you'll have yeah. two yeah. choices uh-huh. really. well, I like you sitting between the two of them yes <laughs> well if she's nominated for drama and Susan Sarandon's nominated for comedy <laughs> I'll just kind of alternate yes. yeah. Joanna do you want to talk about TV real quick because the Golden Globes nominations can be really different from the Emmys and there's all kinds of stuff eligible for Golden Globes that wasn't for the Emmys is it going to be real weird I don't know how weird it's going to be Downton Abbey which has been a 
perennial favorite is no longer eligible. Oh, I, I didn't realize so that. So I think the big thing that a lot of people see sweeping up is Westworld, uh, which yeah. just ended its run. A lot of experts have it in best drama and certainly nominations for Evan Rachel Wood, Tandy Newton, Anthony Hopkins, like so all sorts of things. Does so the fact that it's, I think I just read something yesterday that it's a big ratings hit, like I think one of the most watched HBO shows in a long time. Right. Um, does that, do you think that affects that at all? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when it comes to the Globes, yeah. I think. And then the other, not too surprising, but the Globes do like to hit network shows. And so This Is Us, which mm-hmm. has been a hit on NBC. Yeah. Mandy a lot Moore of people are, yeah, a lot of people are seeing that in the best drama category. And I've been wondering about Stranger Things and The Crown, which are like the two buzzy both Netflix of, shows of, of the year. I, the Crown, definitely. Yeah. And Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The HFPA is <laughs> yeah. like certainly going to be yeah. in The Crown. <laughs> They're like, they'd give it to a corgi if <laughs> they could. <Yeah. laughs> but, who, who from The Crown? Would John Lithgow and Claire, Claire Foy? Foy definitely, yeah. I think. I would like to see Vanessa Kirby in there, but I I don't know. Oh, she's yeah. so good. I think Claire Foy has a real shot yeah. at the Globe. But Stranger Things, Winona Ryder's name is coming up a lot, yeah. actually, in that same category, which is just so weird to pitch Winona Ryder's performance against Claire Foy's performance. I want Barb but... to win. Yes. Justice for Justice Barb. Justice for Barb. Justice for Justice Barb. Barb. But yeah, Stranger Things, I mean, I'm seeing everyone predict that, and it's yeah. such an odd thing to me in the best drama of 2016. It's, so... I mean, the Globes are, they, you know, they're right after New Year's, it's like kicking off this two-month crazy period of yeah. awards. The weirder they get, the happier I am. But, you know, it seemed like Stranger Things coming out when it did was a challenge for it Emmy-wise. But if it has yeah, a strong showing in the Globes, I think that could keep its Yeah, it's not going. eligible for the Emmys till next September, at which right. point it will feel like ancient history. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going to be done with our memes finally by, by then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the Globes do like to um, HBO and Netflix are like their two favorite things. So yeah. if you look at those and the shows, CW, weirdly, so, well for actress for yeah. the breakout actress, <laughs> yeah, it's very curious and it's an interesting year because it does feel a little bit like the change of the guard, like House of Cards, which was a perennial favorite though it's eligible, seems so off the radar. That mm-hmm. but you never know because the Globes does stuff like Mozart and the Jungle. You know, oh, like you know they, what the Globes might do. Sorry, so Mahershala yeah. Ali is still on House of Cards, right? He hasn't gotten thrown in front of a train or anything. I stopped watching. I didn't watch. So. It. But, yeah. Like, you know, when people win two Golden Globes somehow, yeah. like Mahershala Ali could win for supporting actor in film and also for House yeah. of Cards. Kate like, Winslet did that, right? She won yeah. two Golden Emily Globes. Yeah, Emily Blunt did too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this keeps happening. So that's my crazy goal. Uh, hey, good. Mahershala I like that. Ali wins I like twice. It. I just watched the Variety video series Actors on Actors mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. Mahershala Ali and I forget who he was talking to, but he's just the best. I mean, he's so smart and charming and just like handsome, frankly. And, you know, uh, anyway, <laughs> so I would... Greta Gerwig. Ger- Greta Gerwig, that's, that's exactly right. And all she wanted to do was ask him questions. She was like, don't ask me anything. And I, you know, I felt the same way. <laughs> Can we get way, those two in a movie together? Yes. That would be great. Yeah. 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 Uh, we're going to go very quickly into our go big before we go home because we're getting kicked out of our studio. Supporting actor, Marshall Ali, I think everyone thinks it's a lock, but then Jeff Bridges keeps showing up for Hell or Water. I said, which is, don't count it out because my dad liked it. Hey, yeah. 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 Uh, so, I mean, who do you guys see winning supporting actor at this point? I'm going to say it's going to be Marshall Ali, who also won, you know, at New York Film Critics Circle and mm-hmm. just seems to have a momentum behind him. But the real reason I think he's going to win, and this is maybe a little cynical, is that I think Moonlight's going to get nominated for a bunch of things, but it's only going to win that. I think that's going to be its its win, basically. Not even cinematography? I think it could, but it has a lot of competition there. I yeah. think that La La Land, if it sweeps in the bigger categories, like I think it might, the cinematography in La La Land might just kind of get rolled up in we that. we got to do cinematography next week. That's a good category. Yeah, yeah that's a good category. Anyway, that's what I think. Or like editing? I feel like Moonlight should win an yeah. editing award, but you're probably right. I agree with Richard. I will throw in one wild card, which is if we see the Casey Affleck narrative get more and more dire, a nomination for Lucas Hedges might be an interesting way to talk yeah. about Manchester. Yeah. He's so good. He's so good. 
you know, not a win necessarily, but maybe in that category. So who do you think is going to win? Marsha. Okay. Yeah. Mike? Yeah, I agree. And and what's interesting is also if the Casey Affleck narrative goes continually south, you could see African-Americans winning three out of the four acting awards, Denzel, Viola, and Herschel. That would be... Uh, which would be kind of cool. Exceptionally welcome. Mm-hmm. And then maybe, uh, you know, Ruth Negga gets a nomination for Best Actress for my yeah. uh, one-person-loving <laughs> campaign. She's on the cover of Vogue. That counts for I don't something. understand why everyone just like, loving it's dead, it's dead, it's dead. It's so good. I don't so get good. it. I know. Well, we'll just keep talking about it. Okay. <laughs> we'll have our campaign. It's not dead. Do you think Mahershala's odds are affected at all by the fact that he's only in one-third of the film? I know that's never stopped a Best Supporting Actress before, but... I mean, it's know. tough because he's not in the last third, and everyone says like if you if you end it really well like you know Viola's strongest stuff intensity comes near the end so like kind of concerns yeah. you about thinking about her but I think you don't forget about him in Moonlight right. like he is such a well, important part. Also, of it. the fact that spoiler alert, uh, the main character basically turns into him. <laughs> yeah, they, you think of him a lot yeah. at the end of yeah. the movie. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Well, you know, my personal desire is that both he and Andre Holland get nominated for Moonlight. And, you know, supporting actors is a weird category. It could uh, totally yeah. happen. Andre Holland is so good. I think Mahershal is going to win, but I think that Jeff Bridges winning is the Trump's America possibility. Not that Jeff Bridges is a Trump supporter or anything or anything close to no. him, but that's like that you think you have something locked down and then something surprising Then the old, the old, I like, think I it's a good it. it would be such a bummer. I mean, not that Jeff, nothing against Jeff Bridges. He's great in the movie, but like it would be a real bummer to see that happen for that to be the narrative and uh i think jeff bridges you know for all i know might know that and know that getting nominated would be fantastic but it's marshall ali's year so we'll see how that pans out that does it for this week's podcast thank you for listening and don't forget to rate and review us on itunes we appreciate it it's a great time for people to start listening to understand all these mess of awards you can find us all at vanityfair.com writing about award season all the time and we're on twitter we're all at little gold men and on our own i'm at katie rich joanna i'm at joe this mike mike underscore hogan and richard rylaws r-i-l-a-w-s this episode was edited and produced by alana milner and thanks to laura mayer and andy bowers at panoply this week's award for the best way to escape 2016 goes to Richard Lawson. I'm learning my French. Uh, <laughs> I was in Paris this weekend. <laughs> I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR.